It's good to be alive. It's good to know that Jesus did something that produced eternal value in our lives, that uh, he has made a difference not just 2,000 years ago in a one-time event that he did on the cross, but his life continues to flow in us even today and changes the things that we do and who we are. How many of you have experienced that, that Jesus radically came into your life at some point and changed who you were? We, sometimes we think, oh, I'm doing pretty well, I'm a good person, I'm doing all this. And we find that an encounter with Jesus even takes us from a place where we thought we were doing okay to something new and different and radically wonderful. So Jesus makes a difference and still does it today. Uh, last week, if you were here, we touched on what happened on Easter morning. We talked a little bit about the crucifixion and what, what led up to Easter Sunday morning, the words that Jesus spoke on the cross, uh, the things that he said. How many of you know that they were good sayings, they, they were important, they were relevant, but the resurrection cemented them in, into having eternal value. When Jesus said it is finished, if he would have still stayed in the grave, if all he did was die for us, it is finished wouldn't have meant as much. But when Jesus resurrected and showed that I have the power even over death, I laid my life down and I can pick it back up again, that gave those words eternal meaning that they still produce even now. And I do think that possibly out of all the statements that he made on the cross, it is finished, was, was possibly the most important thing that he said to us. Things were altered forever. And, and as I was thinking about it this week, how many of you have ever been in an argument with somebody? All right, so 75% of the hands went up and the rest of you either weren't paying attention or you're lying to me. We're human. We've been in arguments, right? How many of you, I'll ask one more question. Maybe we won't all be so readily willing to raise our hands on this one, but how many of you just love to have the last word in the argument? Come on, I'm, I'm preaching to myself now, and I hate to admit that one, but I don't ever want to be one-upped. I don't want to be the last one like, oh, man, she made a really good point or he got a really good point in on me and, and oh, I lost that. Or I like to have the last word. I, just, I don't know why. I think it's something in human nature in all of us. That it's just like, man, I want to end that argument and be the winner. Winner. Hanging, hanging on my side, score one, whatever it is. Hopefully that's not still going on in your lives that actively. But we all want to be the winner. When Jesus said it is finished, it was like having the last word in the argument. He, he ended the debate. He ended the discussion. He, he said, it is finished. You don't, the other side doesn't get to talk anymore. You're done making all your points. You've made your accusations. You've, you've said everything that there could possibly left to be said. And I'm ending the argument right now. It is finished. You don't get any more say. And that is what Jesus did when he spoke those words on the cross. I love this verse. I'm going to read several verses out of the message translation this morning. So if you don't have a message Bible, you can read along on the screen. Ephesians 1.22, I love how it says it. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. He's talking about Jesus there. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. Uh, the context there is God raising Christ from the dead and literally putting him in charge of everything, committing everything to the Son. You are the last word on it all, Jesus. Yeah. Now, we talk a lot about what does it mean to be saved when Jesus becomes Lord of our lives. We, how many of you have ever said that, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life? What does the word Lord mean? The Lord means that you are the boss. Right? That's when we say Jesus is Lord, that's really what we're saying is Jesus, I want you to be the boss of my life. You can tell me what to do, where to do it, when to do it, how long to do it, how high to jump, all those things. We are committing ourselves to Him. Jesus, you are the boss. I'm going to do what you say. Now, when you're the boss, 
How many of you have ever had an experience being the boss somewhere? When you're in the boss, it's good for your friends. Isn't that what happens? If, if you're the boss, the people that, that you're in relationship with, it's a good thing for them that you've come to power. And this doesn't always, it's not just in the workplace. We see it in politics in different places. It is good to know the guy in charge. Jesus is the boss of everything. And he has the last word on it all. And he called us his friends. It is good for us to know the boss. He makes a difference in the universe and we know him personally. And so what Jesus did, he saw the consequences of sin and what sin had produced in our lives. How many of you know sin always produces death? There, there are bad things that come from making sinful choices in life. The things that we do that are sinful, they always produce death and destruction in our lives. It, it kills relationships. It ruins our, us as a person. It destroys the things that we touch. Sin is deadly. And Jesus saw what sin was doing to our lives. And he said, you know what? I'm the boss. And those are my friends. I get to have the last word on this. And so he came to the cross. One of the reasons he came to the cross was to destroy the power of sin and what it was producing and doing in our lives. Jesus took away the power of anything bad to have the last word in our lives. Think, think about, think about this list for a minute. The the sin that we've done, the the devil, the the sickness that we see active in the world, the law, the the death that we see, doubt, pain, accusations. How about even something as simple as low self-esteem? You know, we, we live in a society where uh, it's hard to have your self-esteem reinforced and built up. We're, we're always tearing people down. Low self-esteem, it always seems to have the last word on people. I can't do that because somebody said this to me. Strife, racism, hopelessness, even our own mistakes. All those things are trying and they're vying to have the last word in our lives, to hold us down, to keep us wounded and bent where we can't do anything. And Jesus says, no, you don't get the last word. Yeah. I took away your power to have the last word in the lives of my friends. And so Jesus spoke, it is finished. And when he said that, the power of all those things to have the last word just dissolved. It was broken in that moment. Sin is finished in our lives. We did have a problem, didn't we? We, we, we became aware that we had broken the law. The, the law came to point out that you've, you've not been able to keep me. Uh, you are sinful people. But the law left us unable to do anything about it. How's, how is that for news that you get? You know, somebody comes and says, well, I'm about to tell you about your condition and how awful it is. But you don't have the power to change it. That doesn't sound like very good news, does it? That's bad. That, that is the bad news. We talk about Jesus being the good news. The bad news came through the law. You've you've been unable to keep it. You're not able to do anything about it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 7 says that the law made nothing perfect. It just came to point out how you didn't, how you weren't perfect, how you couldn't keep it, how you didn't measure up. That's what the law did. And 1 Corinthians 15 actually says the power of sin is the law. So we had this problem because the law had come and had pointed out that we are full of sin, that we we were killing ourselves through the sin that we had embraced, and we couldn't do anything to change our situation. And, oh, wait, by the way, let's heap a little bad news on that. On top of that, Jesus actually said the law won't go away until everything is accomplished. So I've got this predicament I was in. That was kind of funny. Did I just say predicament? Yeah. I had this situation I was in. 
I had this, this bad news that came into my life that, wow, I don't measure up. I, I have sinned. I have not met the mark. I've fallen short, however phrase, terminology you want to put it in, and I couldn't do anything about it. The law was always there reminding me that you didn't, you didn't measure up until, and, and that verse was in Matthew 5, it says, until everything is accomplished. Well, Jesus said, you're my friends. I can do something about this. And I will accomplish something. In fact, I'll cause it to be finished. And here's what he did in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. I think the, the law was like an unwanted house guest. It just wouldn't go away. Did you, ever, did you ever have one of those? Man, I invited these people to come stay and they won't leave. I don't know why they're not leaving. No. Just, I, just, I just realized that was kind of awkward because uh, Heather's in-laws are in for the weekend. And <laughs> Welcome, Donna. It's good to see you. Uh, P.O. and Daniel were in the car with Eli because he decided that 11 o'clock was his nap time in the way. But uh, I wasn't talking about you. Just some other experiences that we've had in life where these things come into our lives and they won't go away no matter how many times we ask them to and how, how hard we try to get away from them. That's what the law was doing with sin. It was like an unwanted house guest. It won't go away. It's always reminding me of it. And Jesus said, I can do something about it. So what did he do? Colossians chapter 2 it says, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. That's pretty good news right there. So all that bad news that we talked about that was heaping up against us, the law not going away, pointing out how we were sinful, Jesus said, this is what I'm going to do about it. I'm going to nail it to the cross. I've canceled the written code that was against you, all those things that were causing you to fall short. Jesus completely destroyed the power that sin had to rule in our lives. Done away with it. I've nailed it to the cross. So what does that mean for us? It's like, well, Pastor Chris, that's a pretty nice platitude that you're telling me. Jesus, Jesus destroyed the power of sin. What's, what does that mean to me? Because I know what I did this week. Right. I, I see it all the time. I, what, what, my sin is ever before me. You know, we, we got these things where we're always conscious of what we've done to fall short, yet the reality, the truth in eternity is that Jesus nailed it to the cross and took away the power of sin in our lives. So how should we conduct ourselves? A, re, a real goal that we should have in our lives is to root sin out of our lives. Okay? There, there should be something about us that says, man, I don't like that. That needs to get out of my life. And, and we can't always do it through self-help and just trying harder. This, this is where there really is a very real supernatural transaction that happens that we invite Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit into our lives to say, God, this is killing me. I need it out. Jesus, I know that you nailed it to the cross. I need to see it gone out of my life. And, and I think we should be rooting sin out of our lives, not, not because I'm worried that God's going to smite me. Okay? He, he's, he's a loving Father. He's forgiven me. I'm, I've embraced His mercy and His grace. I know what it means to be forgiven. I'm not, I shouldn't be worried about sin because, oh, God's going to get me if I do this one more time. I should be concerned about sin because this is killing and destroying me. Every, everything that sin touches becomes polluted. It becomes unhealthy. There, there is an unhealthy relationship. Where did I? I saw it somewhere this week that said any, any relationship that you have, if one person is unhealthy, the whole relationship becomes unhealthy. 
That's, I don't know who that's for, but there's some good relationship advice for you. Everybody needs to work on being healthy in the relationships we have. But what we've done is even though Jesus broke the power of sin in our lives, we still go back sometimes and try to have that relationship with it. And it becomes unhealthy in every aspect because we're, we're trying to make a relationship with an unhealthy partner. Come on, I don't, I don't know how to say it in a much more practical way. Would you ever want to be in a relationship with somebody who's trying to kill you? Like, like their goal is, man, I actively hate you and I can't wait to see you dead. And, and our first response is, wow, you're the kind of person I want to be in a relationship with. Yes, this is awesome. My cereal was poisoned this morning. You're, you know, you, how, how did the toaster get in the tub again? I don't know. You know. All these things, you know, they're, they're just such ridiculous examples that we would never go into a relationship with someone that hates us and wants to kill us. But that's what happens when we run back and try to embrace sin. Sin is like, man, my power was broken in your life, but you want to come back and embrace me? Yes. I got another opportunity to kill you. I thought it had been taken away, but here I go. I get it again. We want to have sin out of our lives because it kills us. So sin is finished. I said that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote to people who wrestled with the same question about freedom and sin because he, he had been proclaiming Jesus set you free from everything. In fact, he set you so free that you really could sin and he still forgives you and embraces you. OK, so what happened when Paul's preaching that message to people, the question started to come up of, oh, so we we could like sin all we want. Because God is so merciful and forgiving. And Paul tells him, you've missed the point. The, the point is not that you've been set free to sin. You've been set free from sin. There is a big difference there. I, I am so free in my freedom. <laughs> oh, I got, I got to tell the story. Because he's, he's in the back and not on the front row to be embarrassed. But when Silas was much younger, so this is not like last week or a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is, this is like he was three. Okay. Somehow he's running around the house naked. Like, I think he was potty trained by then maybe. Oh, we were in a hotel room because the girls were there. He's, he's in this hotel room at three years old, running around naked, yelling, I'm free in my freedom. I am going to have to buy him something really big after that story. Oh, man. I think uh, that might be up there with, like, needing to get him a car or something. I don't know. But he was so free in his freedom that it didn't matter what he did. I'm free in my freedom. And it still speaks to us today. God, God drops things in your life that you just embrace. And it's like, oh, that story reminds me of what Jesus did every time. Just like, just, oh, I really, I love you, bud. And he like, definitely I could see his head before and now it sank down below the computer in the sound room. If something weird pops up on the screen behind me, it's like revenge, I think. But we really did get set so free in our freedom that you could do what you want with that freedom. And the father's like, man, I still love you. Still want to embrace you. But what Paul was saying, that's a ridiculous thought. That's the, that's the same as wanting to go back into relationship with someone that wants to kill you. That's, that's how ridiculous that thought is to go back and to embrace sin once we've been set free from it. So I want to just hit a couple of verses from Romans chapter 6. 
So I, because I love the way that the message says this about <laughs> woohoo, I heard. Um, I love the way that the message says this about our standing being broken with sin. Uh, Romans chapter six, verse one says, so what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving. Paul says, I should hope not. Some translations say certainly not. What a ghastly thought I've actually seen in some translations. By no means. How, how ridiculous a notion is that, that we would go on sinning after Jesus has set us free from sin. And he says this in the message. He says, if we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? God has set us so free. The, the core of the message of grace is that you don't have to sin. It's not that you get to sin or you can do whatever you want. It's that he's broken the power of sin and you don't have to do it anymore. You've moved out of that house in that old country. If you've ever known somebody that escaped from a country with an oppressive regime, like we were, we were really under tyranny and I couldn't, I couldn't get out of there and we escaped and we came to a land with freedom. If you've ever met somebody like that, they are so appreciative and their first thought is not, I want to go back live in my old house. I want to move back to where I just escaped from because I didn't get enough oppression the first time I was there. It's like a ridiculous thought to them. Why would I go back to the house in the country I moved out of? Because I've come to a place of freedom and it's so much better here. And I I think it's funny. This is kind of the the picture of what happened when the Israelites came out of Egypt. Do you remember that story? God brought them through the Red Sea, got them free, and they're, they're out in the middle of the desert, and they're complaining to Moses. And they say, oh, if only we could go back to Egypt. We, we had watermelons and leeks, which I don't know why that's exciting to somebody. It's like, oh, we had diarrhea and bad breath. That's what we really miss. We, but they, they started romanticizing this country that they had escaped from, and it's like, oh, Did you forget that you were in bondage for 400 years, that they were beating you and oppressing you and keeping you in a place where you were not free? It's like, oh, that just slipped my mind when I started to reminisce about Egypt. And that's the same picture of our old life. We start romanticizing all those things like, oh, man, I had such good times back then. It's like, wait a minute. Did you forget the bondage and the oppression that was active in your life, that death was actually having its way in us? Because we had embraced sin and that's the country we were living in. Let's not long to go back to a place where we were enslaved. The whole point of escape or rescue is freedom. Not to want to go back to a place we escaped from. Verse 3, it goes on in Romans chapter 6. It says, or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? That's like the Beverly Hillbillies moving... Moving from the sticks into the Hollywood, it's like we packed up and left the old life for good. And he says, this is what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. When we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace, a new life and a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. That's what happened when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt. The Red Sea was a picture of that baptism. The old life was trying to pursue them. The, the Egyptians were like, man, we want them back in bondage. Let's go get them. And God covered the waters over them. The picture of baptism, your old life is cut off. You, you can't go back. 
It, takes a, it would take a lot of effort to get back there once the waters have been covered over it. And this is a picture. This is what happened a couple weeks ago on Palm Sunday. Carol and some other people, Chelsea, some people we baptized. This was a picture of what happened is the waters covered over your old life. And something supernatural happens there. Baptism is like, uh, one other thought I had is baptism is like shredding your old passport. It's like, hey, I escaped from that country, but I'm, I'm still a citizen. I have my passport right here. And when you go through the waters of baptism, it's like, man, I can't even go back now. I'm going to shred that thing. I'm getting rid of it. I can't go back. And I've renounced my citizenship in that old country. That's part of what happens in the waters of baptism. There are supernatural things that happen when we believe and are baptized. I don't, I don't even understand them all. I just know that it is an essential part of our Christian walk. That scripture puts a high emphasis on it. It's, it's, it's like it's not your eternal salvation. You, you believe that's, that's, that's how you're saved is you believe in Jesus. But there is something about walking in obedience to go into the waters of baptism that he actually does something in our heart. He changes us on the inside. So baptism is critical, and that's what happened when we left that old country. Verse 4 in chapter 6 of Romans, it says, When we are lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus When we are raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. And he says this in verse 5, Each of us raised into a light-filled world by our Father so we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Living with sin in charge is like stumbling around in the dark. Anybody ever been in a place where you haven't had light to see? I, I mean, even in our own living room, you, you get up in the middle of the night and you go downstairs. If the lights aren't on or the power's out or something, I maybe know it can be a very painful experience. Who, who knows what the grandkids left on the floor when they were there playing that afternoon? There are certain things that you can step on that just don't give, okay? There, there are places you can bang your shin and your knees. You can fall down and you get hurt. That's what happens when you walk around in the dark. And that's where sin kept us walking around in the dark. And he says, our father brings us into a country of light where we can see where we're going. I think that is an amazing benefit of the Christian life is you can actually see now. You have decisions set before you, whereas before when we were in sin, when we were in darkness, you kind of do whatever comes along. Try that experiment sometime. Just grope around in the darkness and whatever comes up next is what I have to deal with. And when you come into the kingdom, the light begins to shine and you can actually see what's coming up and you get to de- decide and interact with it that way. What is Second Corinthians 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. Sin keeps us in the dark, but God brings us into the light. Verse 6 of chapter 6, could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ. Watch this, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at its sin's every becking call. Jesus had the last word about our old life. And such finality, he nailed it to the cross. Uh, Sin was destroying our life, so he actually took it to the cross. He finished the job. Can I say it that way? Sin was killing us, so what did Jesus do? He finished the job and gave us his life. Your your old life is broken. Your old life is sick and dying because of sin. I will remedy that. I'll have the last word. I'll finish the job. I will kill your old life and give you mine instead. His is a much better life to live than the one that was broken by sin. Verse 7, if you have an NIV translation, it says anyone who has died has been freed from sin. 
We, we all we meet people that they spend most of their life being afraid of death. And it's like, man, I died. And it was an awesome experience. Jesus gave me his life to replace the old one I had. And I've been freed from the power of sin. What we believe is this, verse 8. If we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in his life-saving resurrection. What a deal. Come on. I, I know I said the phrase a couple weeks ago, winner, winner, chicken dinner. That's like the best thing ever. I get included in his death and his life. It did just end with his death. When he rose from the dead, how many of you know every single thing that he claimed about himself, all the things that he taught were validated by the resurrection. If all that would have happened is he died, they would have said, oh, here, there was another good teacher that told us the kingdom was coming, but he's, we can go see where his tomb is and stand outside of it. When he died and rose again, that That's what validated all. When he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, nobody comes to the Father but by me, he proved that by the resurrection. When he says, before Abraham existed, I am. When he claimed to be God, he's saying, hey, that's a true statement because of the resurrection. There's no tomb that you can go to. There's, there's sites you can go visit in Israel where they say, oh, well, maybe, maybe this is about the place where they put him for a couple of days. But there's no tomb that you can go to and say, here's where his body is. Every single thing he claimed, the resurrection proved it. Verse 9 says, We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was a signal of the end of death is the end. That takes a minute to wrap your head around the way you worded that one. But it, it was a signal of the end of death is the end. Death doesn't even have the last word where Jesus is concerned. He has the last word in everything. He says, never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, he took sin down with him, but alive, he brings God down to us. How's that? That, because of this, the resurrection, sin lost its power, doesn't have the last word. Here is the grand prize of the cross and the resurrection. You ready for this? This, this is like better than what's behind curtain number three, Monty. Okay? This, this is better than let's make a deal. We're always looking for what's, what's the best prize we can get out of this. This is the grand prize of Christendom. The, the thing that everything is wrapped up in and what it's all about. Now, the dwelling of God is with men. Come on. He said, I, because of the cross and the resurrection, you can be filled with me. You can now, I can come and make my home with you is what Jesus said. The father through belief, Jesus says, the father and I will come and make my home with you. That is the prize. That is the goal. That's what we've been after. Uh, come on. As, as great as heaven is, if we dangle heaven out in front of people as a reward, that's temporary. It's like the grand prize, where we're going, the, the end goal, where Jesus said he was going. Jesus said, didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm going to heaven. Jesus said, I go to the Father. Okay? God is the end goal of everything. Being one with him is the prize. Heaven is a wonderful place. You will be there if you die today. If you believe in Jesus, you will see him face to face as he is right now. But the goal or destination is to be one with the Father. And Jesus made that possible through his death and resurrection. Verse 11. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. God speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. 
having traveled in other countries, I really appreciate hearing people speak English. When I go somewhere, hearing a language I can understand where I, I actually know what's happening, I'm able to communicate, I appreciate hearing my mother tongue. And what sin is doing now, sin is babbling to me. It's, it's like a language that isn't valid anymore. Somebody blah, 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 blah. Like incessant chatter just coming around you all the time, trying to distract you, trying to get you to go places. But what Jesus did is he comes and speaks to who you really are. He speaks the mother tongue. There's something that resonates inside of us when we hear the voice of God. It's like, that's who I was created to understand. That's the language I was made to speak. And there's something that comes alive in us. Just just like when Jesus asked the disciples, are you guys going to leave too? And they're like, where are we going to go? You have the words of spirit and life. There's something that comes alive in me when I hear you talk, Jesus. You're speaking my mother tongue. Verse 12, that means you, everybody say me. Me. So we, we get a part to play in this. It says that means you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. Throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time. It says, remember, you've been raised from the dead into God's way of doing things. Sin doesn't have equal say in your life. If we've come and embraced the cross, sin doesn't have the sway of the other arguments. Have you ever seen the picture of the little devil and the, the little angel sitting on people's shoulders? And, and the little devil's like saying, hey, come over here and do this. And the, and the little angel always has like the effeminate Mike Tyson voice. No, don't do that. It's not good for you. <laughs> That's not the right picture. That's not an accurate picture. Sin is not an equal opposing force trying to sway you back and forth. Jesus speaks your language. He is the one that has power. Don't even give sin a vote in the way you conduct your life. You don't have to say, oh, well, let me see. Yeah, should I do this? Should I do that? And I'll give equal weight to what my flesh wants to do and what sinful things I've done in the past. Sin doesn't have an equal vote in your life. We don't even have to run little errands connected with that old way of life. Surround yourself. This is something you can do. Surround yourself with people who speak the language of heaven. Who am I hanging out with? Who's having influence in my life? Several times, Pam and I heard this recently, and it's come up several times in conversation. Surround yourself with people who are where you want to go, not people who are where you've been. And I know... We could go around this room. I, I, could, I could sit with everybody face-to-face and get names, and we know the difference in our lives between people who are taking us back to where we've been, the old country that we packed up and left, and people who are speaking the language of where we want to go. That's, that is just a very practical thing we can do in our lives to grow, is to surround ourselves with people who are speaking the language of heaven. Where are we giving our attention to, and what are we hearing? Verse 14, sin can't tell you how to live. Let's just think about that for a moment. Sin can't tell you how to live. I hate when people try to tell me how to live, don't you? (laughs) Even well-meaning people sometimes, it's like, oh, I know better than that. Sin can't tell you how to live. We need to treat it that way. Man, I'm not even going to listen. Hey, get the hand up. If you can envision yourself putting the hand up into sin's face. You, you don't have a say in my life anymore. I'm not going to listen. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. 
at your neighbor and say, I'm living in freedom. Sometimes we need to just remind ourselves of that. I'm living in freedom because, because Jesus said it is finished, because he has the last word, I can have the last word in my life with sin. I can look at sin in the face and say, you're finished. Jesus said it's finished. He lives in me. I can say it's finished to you. Because he had the last word, we can too. I want to read you a couple other passages of scripture and then show you a video to quit. And I'm not, I'm not going to expound on these. I'm just going to read them to you uh, because they'll be in the video. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. These are the cloud of witnesses that surround us. It means we better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. The sins that we embrace that hold us back. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish line in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside of God. When you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again. Item by item, the long litany of hostility that he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. That's what Easter is about, remembering that it is finished. When we start to weary and we start to grow weak in our faith, we need to go back and remind ourselves of what did Jesus actually do. He had the last word. Luke 10:27 Love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, we're going to show this video. I want you to be encouraged and then I will dismiss you. The altar will be open for prayer, but um, man, you can sit and watch the video, but I'm going to stand up and cheer at the end. Because it's finished and he had the last word on sin in my life and I don't have to give it a place in me anymore. Let's, let's just pray and then we'll roll the video. Thank you, God, for what you've done in our lives. God, we ask, uh, Lord, in the very real struggle that we have sometimes and what we feel with sin in our lives, we thank you that you remind us that you broke sin's power in our life, that we don't have to go back to that old way of walking, that old way of thinking, that old way of speaking, that you radically changed something the moment you went to the cross, you spoke, it is finished, and then you raised from the dead. You proved that what you said was true. Sin and death no longer have the last word. And we honor you, Lord. Stir us this morning, even as as we think about these verses and we meditate on them, stir them with your complete and utter victory that you had over sin and death and anything else that would be vying for the last word. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have the last word in our lives. sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left a country where sin is sovereign, how can we still live in our old house there? Or 
didn't you realize we'd packed up and left there for good? That's what happens in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into a new country of grace, a new life in a new land. That's what baptism into the life of Jesus means. When we're lowered into the water, it's like the burial of Jesus. And when we're raised up out of the water, it's like the resurrection of Jesus. Each of us is raised into a light-filled world by our Father so that we can see where we're going in our new grace-sovereign country. Could it be any clearer? Our old way of life was nailed to the cross with Christ, a decisive end to that sin-miserable life, no longer at sin's every beck and call. What we believe is this, if we get included in Christ's sin-conquering death, we also get included in His life-saving resurrection. We know that when Jesus was raised from the dead, it was the signal of the end, of death as the end. Never again will death have the last word. When Jesus died, He took sin down with Him. But alive, He brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. But God speaks your mother tongue. And you hang on every word. You are dead to sin and alive to God. That's what Jesus did. That means you must not give sin a vote in the way that you conduct your lives. Don't give it the time of day. Don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life. But throw yourselves wholeheartedly and full time, remembering that you've been raised from the dead, into God's way of doing things. Sin can't tell you how to live. After all, you're not living under that old tyranny any longer. You're living in the freedom of God. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans, they're cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there, in the place of honor, right alongside God. So when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long litany of hostility that he plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Love the Lord your God with all of your passion, with all of your prayer, with all of your muscle, with all of your intelligence. Because everlasting, abundant, and overflowing life is here today. We're going public with this. Christ is risen.